1: Welcome to the Fatlado Primary Purpose Big Book, Groups, Big Book Study Group Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke. Joe.
2: Hello, everyone. I am uh, Joey, your honorary joke teller for this evening. Hello. Oh, I'm an alcoholic, too by the way. Um, All right. So, this is brought to you by A.A. Grapevine. A.A. Approved Literature, for the record. Okay. A doctor told Mrs. McMurphy to give her husband one pill a day and one drink of whiskey to improve his stamina. A month later, when Mrs. Murphy came in for another visit, the doctor asked, how are we doing with the pill and the whiskey? Well, he's... A little behind with the pills, she said, but he's about six years ahead with the whiskey. Heyo. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Benzie. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that will make noise that might will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start a meditation. let's say the fog light prayer god let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost sick and dying can find your love through me amen there is a solution from the big book page 17 the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution we have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action this is the great news This book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I have asked um, Ray to read the appendix to his spiritual experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is.
2: Ray, alcoholic. Hey, Ray Ray. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifest itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave, us, gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experience must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavings. Upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conscious is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are discovered. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness formed at once by a vast change in feeling and outcome. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rules. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the differences along before he is is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alter alteration in the reaction to the life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about about himself alone. What often takes a place what often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self discipline. With few exceptions of members our members find that they have tapped and Tapped an in unexpected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own concept of a power greater than themselves. Uh, most of us think this this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most. Emphatically, we wish to say that an alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be denied defined by an attitude of tolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one who needs we find that no one need have diff- difficulty with the spiritual, spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and, op- and open mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are d- deceptional. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is a proof against all argument, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ing- ignorance. That principle is a concept prior to investigation. Uh, Herbert Spencer. Thank you.
1: Please refrain from disturbing others by talking, you're constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones on airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. Now I have the pleasure to introduce Peter M. for the sixth session.
3: All right. My name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Peter. Great to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm glad to be here on time. Um, rain and traffic, uh, I punched in the map quest. We were going to be here really late tonight. And uh, Marion started doing the rosary beads, and halfway through the rosary beads, traffic disappeared, and I think the sun came out, too. We got here on time, so she's got a hotline to God, if anyone wants to know. Um, I got to tell you, uh, this past weekend, uh, Mary and I attended uh, an Al Anon conference. And uh, it, it was fabulous. They threw a great party at this conference in Orlando. And, um, you know, sitting at the tables with these folks and hearing some of their stories, I, I was actually quite uncomfortable for a few minutes because I'm the reason why they're there, you know. Uh, and I was hearing firsthand some of their, their war stories. And there was one woman speaking to me. Her husband's uh, a fall-down drunk, and, a, and her son is using fentanyl, and she doesn't know who's going to die first. And uh, one woman, uh, her husband forgot he left the two dogs in the car and killed them and took the dead dogs to a vet. And he's trying to negotiate Well, he did take them to the vet. And it, it, just one story after another, what these folks are against, uh, their loved ones, husband, wives, children who were active and doing what we would do. And the cool thing that we get to do is uh, we laugh at ourselves and, and make fun of a lot of the things, but uh, never take alcoholism lightly. And uh, hearing some of their stories, it just, for me, reaffirmed uh, when we get to step nine. Hopefully we'll talk about the importance of not just thinking because I didn't drink today that everything's a success. I haven't even, you know, pulled back the first layer of the onion. In fact, I'm not even the reason why I'm not drinking. It's, it's God. And uh, what I need to do is get right with God. You know, I come from God. I belong to God. One day it's returned to God. And uh, I need to get that at a deep level and lean all the way in. So to get some of that strength, draw my strength from God to go out and repair the damage And uh, not only because it it helps keep me sober. Uh, That would be selfish if it was just about me staying sober. But it's about recognizing, becoming aware, uh, the aha moments of how much damage I have caused. Now, I'm not that strong. But alcoholism is. And it takes everyone in its path. Uh, Big Book says years of living with an alcoholic will make any child or wife neurotic. The whole family, to some extent, has become ill. And I got to hear about some of these folks their stories, whether it was over a cup of coffee, breakfast, or at the podium. Uh, and it was frightening to hear of it. Uh, going to AA meetings as much as we do, uh, you know, we, 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 we talk about the, 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 the joys we get to experience in Alcoholics Anonymous being sober, and sometimes we can get far away from what it was like coming in here. And the sleepless nights the families have, and the arguing, and the fighting, and the controlling. Uh, and when you're in, if anyone in here has ever grown up in an alcoholic family, I have. Marion has. You lose your voice as the sober person growing up. You have no identity because everything is focused around the drunk. And I would hear these stories throughout a weekend. Uh, again, it just reaffirm the importance of of doing what I get to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, June 23rd, 1988 is when the loving God separated me from alcohol, and I'm grateful for this gift. I am so grateful for this gift, the longer I'm sober, especially after this weekend, that I'm, I haven't caused havoc in my family um, since I got sober. There were some bumps. You know, I made some bad decisions, like my first marriage, but anyway, um, you know, made some bad decisions. Um, uh, but it wasn't wreaking havoc on my family. God put me on a course, thank you for good sponsorship, that my job is I owe, and I need to give back to those who were around me then and give it away to anyone who cares to uh, have this way of life. And that is my amends back to the universe besides my family. So I, I've shared a few times. My dad passed, that. it's about a month ago, and uh, an old-timer sat with me and he, and he said to me, he says, remember one thing, uh, your dad got to see you 35 years sober. You live this, you walk this out with him. Uh, there's no regrets or remorse. And I was, you know, I had to hear that. I said last week, there's no guarantees for tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll make it up tomorrow. I'll figure it out tomorrow because then tomorrow's today and now it's too late. Uh, and that's one of the, the what talking about the benefits of the program last week. The benefits of the program is not, hey, I get to go on vacation. I made a lot of money. and th-. That's great stuff. But some of us can't do that. The benefits of the program is something I just talked about. Uh, uh, giving back to families and loved ones walking this out, uh, being around people who need the message, who care to have the message, and they knock on your door and say, Can you give me the message? And getting to practice these principles in all affairs. Uh, uh most days I get to do that. And when I fall short, I quickly make amends. And I can't, I can't even fathom what it would be like without having God at the center of my life or in my soul and, and shouting his name from the rooftops and coming underneath God's authority willingly. And giving cheerfully to others, not begrudgingly. not I, I, you know. I, I can say I do that, but make no mistake—that does not come from me. That is just one of the God's wonders. Uh, um, it might even be a mystery: How's this happen? How someone like me, for example, who was a homeless bum in 1988, suddenly have a great care for other people, even more for myself, to a fault at times. I watch my wife give till it hurts. How do we do this and get up the next day and do it all over again and somehow go home with a full soul, a full heart and content and sleep at night? It's a long way from just don't drink, and go to me. a long way from my last drunk. Because being physically sober is great, but there's a whole lot of work to do. There's a whole lot of soul work to do. Alcoholics Anonymous for me is a soulful journey, a lot of soul work. I don't want to use therapy or new age when we hear that, because they use that in new age and therapy, soul work. I'm talking about real hardcore soul work right in here, right out of the book and there's lots of ways people recover i remember stevie telling me something i thought was brilliant there's different flavours you know you go with, you have this influence you have this influence you like this speaker he likes that speaker but it all should bring me to a point of getting soul food and getting right with god My assignment is step six, and last week we talked a little bit about step five, Uh, hopefully a lot about step five, and what that really entailed. And that was me unloading all of my life, not my life story. It's not not I'm not unloading my autobiography. That's not what this is about. Uh, They may do that in therapy and treatment and as a place for it, but what I'm doing here is unloading all the plaque on the soul. All my resentments, all my fears, all my sex misconduct and my ideas about this. And um, it takes a lot to do that. It's an intimate moment between two drunks. And what blows my mind is God, uh, 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 there's something we hear in a, 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 some meetings, why we were chosen. Um, sometimes I think it's a little pompous, like God chose us and not someone else. You got to be careful with that. But he did choose another drunk to work with another drunk. And it seems to be, for some reason, we, we get each other and a lot more successful than even professionals. If you study statistics and treatment, they're terrible. The outcomes are terrible. And they're very good, qualified, professional people. But there's about a 5% recovery rate in treatment. For me, you know, we can take a look at a lot of numbers. But for me, Alcoholics Anonymous has a 100% recovery rate for those folks who follow the information in the book. It almost guarantees us that. And it's just one drunk who maybe doesn't have a college education, maybe even never went to school, and helps another drunk. I was sober about uh, maybe three years. And I had a sponsor in Brooklyn. His name was Tony. And we used to go to this being called Slope Caton. And uh, there was a, a Tony sponsored some guy who went by the name of Don the Plumber because he was a plumber. Everyone gets a nickname, it was Jimmy Wall Street, Joey had letters, Frankie, you know, all these. And uh, Don the plumber had zero education. And when he spoke, you could hear, he wasn't educated man, but he was in the book. And he had about 15, 20 years sober at the time. And he sponsored a lot of guys. He had a very blue collar, raw approach. And uh, when the meeting ended, we were downstairs and people were smoking and talking after them. It was a Sunday morning, 11 step meeting every Sunday. And uh, my sponsor, Tony, says, pulls me over and says, watch this. And Don comes down, and he's reading his sponsee, the riot act. And this gentleman who was dressed nice is just, yes, yes, I apologize, yes. That guy was a doctor. He was sponsored by Don the Plumber, who had zero education. <laughs> and he was taking direction. This well-educated MD was in a place of humility, listening to Dom bark at him because he was late for the meeting. It was a great lesson for me that to equalize as soon as I walk in the door to an AA meeting. We don't care about color. We don't care about money or what you do. That's nice. But in here, one drunk worker, another drunk is priceless. It talks about in the big book is the most effective method if we're coming out of the book. And so when I did a fifth step with the sponsor, and every time I've done a fifth step with the sponsor, it's kind of intimate. I'm sharing things with the sponsor I normally wouldn't share from a podium in some cases. And it isn't anything that's going to be so unique. I'm not a unicorn, but the ego gets pushed around a little bit and doesn't want to do that. But we do it. And after a while we do because we like the effect produced by, I know I'm in a safe place. I'm talking to another drunk. They probably did it or did it better. I had this stick. can identify with that, and they listen objectively and get feedback and navigate through some of the delusions and illusions I'm walking around with. And when I get done, it talks about this hour quiet time, which is so vital, and they really mean an hour. I know some cats who take 15 minutes and don't do it, or they'll get to it tomorrow. That's not what the book is saying, so I can't get what the book is saying if I'm not doing what the book is telling me to do, Yeah. But it's really quiet. Some folks do five, six, and seven right in the house. Or Marion does that, five, six, and seven. Or however long it takes. I usually send guys home. Some of my sponsors had me with them. Some of them send me home. But it's my response at this point, not the sponsor, to go and get an hour quiet time, which means I'm not on Facebook, you know, doing a selfie. Just did a fifth step. Give me a like. (Laughter) yeah. I'm not listening to music, I'm not watching TV, I'm not watching video, I'm not doing anything. It's really quiet. Now, the interesting thing about this quiet time, like in meditation, some of us don't like that because it's too quiet. I need some noise. Because I might hear things I don't want to hear. I might get too close to the center. And I don't really want to get that close to the center because I don't know what's going to be revealed. And I start to hear my own thinking in that quiet time and all the narratives. I don't like that. I'd rather have something in the background, some background noise to distract me from me or me from my truth. And that's why the book says a quiet time for one hour is vital. I'm open, wide open, and in the raw with my God, me and God alone. And I thank God from the bottom of my heart that I know him better, even though I may not. But I'm on the course. My experience has been we have a whole lot of God in us. And one day we realize I got a whole lot of God in me. I thought I was empty. It's been there all the time. You know, the crackhead in the crack house right now, and they're drunk under a bridge right now, has just as much God. They're filled with God just as much as anyone in this room. What they're lacking is the contact or the awakening of it. And the reliance and dependence upon it. It's the whiskey bottle or the crack pipe or the, the whatever it is. That's my God, and I'm deaf, dumb, and blind to my truth when we look at six, on the way in here and while I'm in here, I can fall into illusions and delusions about myself, which take me further and further away from God. I want to look at defects. I look at them as well. I can trim off some of the dead leaves. I'm not looking to be completely transformed. It's too uncomfortable. How free do I want to be? How willing am I still? I need to lean into God to get that kind of willingness. I come in here in 1988, and I know what I am and I'm a mess and I run into me immediately and I don't like this guy anymore. I'll do anything not to be that guy anymore and then we get a little distance from the last drink and I put conditions on how much I'm going to transform and six and seven is about that. I see it in my own religion, people know all the kneeling, sitting, standing, kneeling, sitting, standing, what to say, what to do in the parking lot, they cut you off. This isn't about knowing the big book like like a big book mechanic. If you know that, that's fabulous. It's really about where am I with God this? how much dependence upon God. Am I looking for God for my strength or am I looking for other places for strength? How free do I want to be? I'm so afraid of what I might become, I hold on to what I've known. I'm so afraid God might take me to someone who's open and transparent and maybe some humility and kind and loving towards others and maybe become a gentleman for the first time in my life. No, 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 I'm not going to go that far. I've shared from a million podiums one of the things I had a problem with was trust. I, I grew up, uh, the lessons I got uh, from my dad and, and my uncles who were trying to help me. I don't fault them for it. It was a different age, like the 60s and 70s almost feel like it was like, like a billion years ago. The outlook on life compared to where it is now, I'm not saying better or worse, it was just different. It was a different rhythm. And what they would all tell me is never trust anyone. Trust no man. And they would tell me never trust a woman. And I'm thinking, but they're married. How do you have a marriage if you can't? That, but those were the values I got. The only thing they tell me to trust is the money in your pocket. I remember being this drilled into me. The only thing you trust is the money in your pocket. Trust no one. So I arrive at AA and they tell me, trust others. How far? My sponsor, I'll give him what I think I want to give him, but I'm not trusting him with intimate stuff. And five is saying, you got to let go absolutely here. Step three tells me, let go absolutely. Step five, I better. Now I'm in six. Am I going to let go absolutely with God? Here's my mess. I'll, I'll become anything you want me to. How, how free do I want to be? Am I willing to do that walk? There's some heavy lifting here. There's not a whole lot of writing to do here. There's not even a whole lot of reading to do here. It's meeting God with my heart. I'm standing here. You do what you want with me. You completely remodel me again. When we look at step seven, it looks a lot like step three. It's actually a continuation. Continuation. And so I had a whole list of defects that I learned about in five. My sponsor pointed some things out to me. He would give me a list of defects just to help me with six and seven, making it really clear this isn't the list. It's just to help you see a little bit clearer going into that hour quiet time. And I would sit in that hour quiet time, and after making a prayer, thank you, God, I'd see what came to me. Sometimes I remember stuff. Oh, God, I just remembered something. I write it down and call the sponsor. Sometimes nothing came to me. I've heard lots of stories. This didn't ever happen to me, that uh, stuff that, you, the take it to the grave stuff, that you get in your car and do any hour quiet times. I got to tell my sponsor about this. I, I just conveniently left it out, usually with the sex inventory. Something shameful, embarrassing. I'm not even going to tell my sponsor. But now the spirit's moving us, and we almost have to. You can't, you can't den- We can try to deny God's message to us all we want, but we're trying to run away from our own shadow. It's just going to be there. The truth will always find you. Say sinfulness will always catch you. And so I finished the hour choir time, and I, I had some defects. Am I ready to have God remove all these things which I consider objectionable? I can't read out of the book tonight. I don't have my glasses. I'm going to do the best I can. All the things we consider are objectionable. Got glasses? Beautiful. Okay. I can see. See what happens after 40, man? I have hearing aids and eyeglasses. Okay. It says, uh, if we can answer to our satisfaction. Let me go back a little bit. bottom of uh, page 75, it says this. Um, carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything for building an archway which we shall walk a free man or woman at last. Is our work solid so far, the stones properly in place? Have we skipped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? For me, Bill's asking the same question a lot of different ways, different flavors with the question. This question might appeal to you, this question might appeal to you, but he's asking the same thing. Have I been thorough? Have I left anything out? Have I tried to sneak something through the archway that God's not going to know about? We all know the answer to that. You can't deny the truth. But if I'm clear, have I been thorough with the sponsor, excuse me, been thorough with the sponsor, I give him everything or her everything. I turn to page 76 and it says, if I can answer to those questions to my own satisfaction, and this is really cool, it's kind of a little subtle shift here. It doesn't say to the sponsor's satisfaction, to the home group satisfaction, to my therapist or treatment center satisfaction, I'm with God alone. To my own satisfaction, which implies I've been awakened a little bit. I put my foot on the truth, for the, perhaps for the first time. And I can't get away from that. And only I know. I've answered those questions. I'm not sure. I've held on to some stuff where I'm free to go. Keep moving. Now, I was in a place of I'm ready to keep going, especially after you do this a few times, and you know only good is going to come out of this. And I want more of God. I want to experience more of God's glory. I want to be able to be uh, more effective when I'm working with other people, so I keep moving. It says if I can answer to my satisfaction, I look at step six, and it says we've emphasized willingness as being indispensable. God's plans are always beyond my greatest plans, and what I think I'm doing good falls short in God's eyes. Because he can do much, so much better for us. How willing am I to continue? Indispensable simple, simply means I can't do without willingness. It's absolutely necessary. So am I still willing? And if I'm hesitant here, what do I do? Go back to God. This is not about me saying, okay, I got a list of defects. I'm going to work on them. The biggest defect I can have is believe and I can work on my defects. And worse, I don't have any. Do I believe I have defects? Yes Am I willing to let them go into something God's going to turn me into That I don't even know yet Bill talks in the 12 and 12 We think we're going to become the hole in a donut And become a non-person Yet we become even greater With all our faults With all my brokenness With all the shortcomings With all of it I will achieve greater things in his light. As long as I'm walking on his path Practicing fidelity to God Yeah? So I got these defects and I'm in a place of, okay, these are the things that are in my way. Trust is one of them in the first time out. I've gotten much better with trust. I still stay close to the vest. It takes me a little while to begin to open up to someone. Uh, Some people have said I'm stuck up and conceited. Maybe I am because I'm not the social butterfly. I'll I'll sit there and be real quiet if I know you and 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 there's a rapport I'll start to kind of open up my top button if you will with you but I'm not I just don't do that and maybe it's the way God made me some trust issues I'm sure but there was a time I would not talk you have to prove yourself to me I don't do that anymore not to that extent anyway One of let me keep going with this. One one of the defects uh, that I had, and it'll still rear its head once in a while. Um, I would be so intimidated. I don't have a college education, and in my business, I'm in a treatment business. It's a credential-driven business for the most part. So I'd be in staff meetings or just talking to therapists who have 14,000 letters in front of their name, and I gotta hide. I can't even contribute to this conversation. You're feeling less than inadequate, totally self-centered, like everyone's going, what's he doing here? He doesn't have credentials. He should be washing windows for a living or doing something else, not this. And I can feel my heart pounding and my forehead sweating. When a question was directed at me, I okay, I gotta sound really like professional here. It took me a long time to get away from that and be okay in my own skin, years. Yes. If I was around people who are really wealthy, I, I'm not a wealthy guy when it comes to money. And living in Boca Raton seems like everyone doesn't work and has a lot of money. I don't know how this happens. But being around people who are wealthy, who like really wealthy, you know, that the big house, big, they just have money, and being pretty much a working guy, I would, I would recoil around people like that. I feel really like a successful businessman. You know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. I must be a loser. So no matter what I accomplished in God's light, it didn't measure up to that. When I get there, then I'll be a real man. And I even question my own man. What kind of guy am I that I don't have the money and the power? You know, I'd have control over a lot of things. That's a horrible way to walk it took me years to kind of unravel that knot and, as I said, get pretty okay in my own skin. It's still an ongoing journey. You're not looking at a finished product. When it's finished, he'll call me home, I think, most likely. But it, it, it's, it's, it's an ongoing process. Um, am I now ready to let God remove from me all the things i admitted made an objection? Well, yes. For the first time, I, I didn't even know what that meant. I was just so desperate to get better. As I get sober and you get some knowledge and experience, well, well, hold on a second. Exactly what is he looking to take from me? Everything belongs to him anyway. I'm a steward of his money. Everything's on loan. Relationships are on loan. Everything's on loan. The way the bank, you know, we say we bought a house. No, the bank owns your house. Really. God owns everything. Everything's on loan, but I get so attached to it thinking It's mine. Can he now take them all, every one? Uh, do I believe my God's big enough and powerful enough to remove this stuff? The defects of character, it isn't like, I, I, the, the scope and the depth of defects is frightening because the roots run really deep. I don't have any power to work on stuff. I can't say, okay, I got a, a defect cornered. Here it is, God, just give me a little push here and I'll get rid of it. <clears throat> it doesn't work that way. The best thing I can do is lay them at God's feet. God, here it is. I, 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 I think I know what I need to do, but I really need you here. I can't work on this defect and I want it to go, it's killing me, it's making me uncomfortable. Relationships are being uh, suffering because of it. Whatever it might, I don't sleep at night because it is defect, or I'm acting out sexually or with money or gambling and I can't get away from it, I gotta lay this at your feet the same way when we surrender when we come in. It's the same thing. It's alcoholism, it's it's a drink and a defect, if you will. It's the same thing. And if that stuff is not dealt with, it will if I don't go to God, with deal with defects. Defects will deal with me. I'll be drunk. So it isn't about for me just trimming off some dead branches or some leaves. The whole thing needs to be uprooted. Am I willing to do that? Because it's going to make me uncomfortable. Do I think my God's big enough and loving enough to do that? Can He take them all, every one? I've shared this many times. Uh, the way I've looked at this question now is: Can He take them all, every one? I think you call it a rhetorical question. It's almost a command. Can He take them all, every one? Are you done? Are you done carrying this load and screwing things up? Can He take them all? Are you finished? Have you hit bottom? Are you bopping till you drop? Finally, it's another surrender. Working on defects and practicing the, you know, looking at a defect and working on the asset, that's ma- admi- admirable, but it's not going to go very far, because my default is go back to that again and again and again. Some of the defects, I've heard enough, fifth steps, uh, there's joy in defects, there's some pleasure in it. I get away with it. I like it. My my sponsees can't do it, but I kind of like getting away with a little bit of this and a little bit, a little gossiping, a little slandering, a little criticizing of people. You know, I raise myself above others when I gossip. But I kind of dig that. I like getting the coffee clutch you know, together, and we're talking about Joe. We're ripping Joe apart, but we believe we're really trying to help Joe. I like that. There's joy in that kind of that stuff. There's pleasure in that, but it's killing me. I've stepped onto a really, really narrow road here. I, there's, there's no wavering here. You know, I can't be double minded as well be spiritual here and not so spiritual there. I'm spiritualized and touch every area of my life. It touches an, uh, none of my life. Am I willing to have God do this for me? Do I believe He can? And we look at defects of character, you know, right off the rip we can say selfish, self centered, self seeking, egotistical, the obvious ones. But I learned a lesson a long time ago about defects of character. I got to look at, and I speak for myself, I got to look at the seven deadly sins. See, I see through the seven deadly sins, or, or, or the mind, because all this stuff, by the way, is not in the soul. This is perfect. The drunk under a bridge has a perfect soul. It's God. As I said, he hasn't gotten contact with it, if you will. All the stuff we talk about is alcoholism is all up in the head. That's why the book says the main problem said is in the mind rather than the body. My mind says get up, the body gets up. So the defects, I, I see through the defects, that bad vision leads to bad actions. I try to control what I can't control. I try to manipulate what I can't manipulate. I try to lie and get away with it, and I can't. And it just goes on and on and on. And I'm walking around tighter than the Major League Baseball. And then I'm in conflict with you. I'm in conflict with the universe. Now I have a problem. So I don't like anyone, everyone's a problem, uh, the meeting's a problem, everything's a problem. I'm not the problem, you are. And I'm seeing through this stuff. i got to be able to get to a place, and God will do this for all of us, is operate out of the soul. I'm not leading leading with paranoia, I'm not living in the wreckage of the future, I'm right here because I'm operating out of the soul, the God spot. This big, big, big spot, the soul. I hear through the soul, I speak through the soul, I start to uh, uh, act from the soul. Chances are I'm going to be traveling awfully light. But we look at pride. Any any literature you study is the is, is the, the, the king of all the defects, pride. It begets the rest. And right with pride is a kissing cousin called ego. They're best friends. But it's pride, which I put myself in place of God. Why do I need God where secretly... Deep down in here, in here, I believe I'm God. You need to do those things, not me. You need to praise me. My sponsor, my old sponsor say, we don't like to be liked. We don't want to be liked. We need to be worshipped in AA. i got to be the big gun on campus. I'm God. I know what's right for everyone. I'm constantly giving advice because I don't use mine. I go to my religious community. I know all the the cues, what to do. And I use those kind of... um, Uh, behaviors I I can't think of the right word Uh, uh, but I don't live it or I use God as a weapon rather than an act of love I hold it against someone I use maybe my big book information as a weapon again you'll go to me you hear people getting up there speaking about the big book and they're they're lecturing you and their talks isn't about I but it's about you need to and you need to, they need to that's playing God I don't know what you need. Unless you come to me, we'll talk, and I'll take you through the book. Pride. The complete opposite of humility. And I can't even make myself humble. That's a God job. As soon as I think I'm humble, I'm prideful. If I think I'm really humble, and i got to get humble, I'm probably narcissistic. I don't have the ability to touch humility. We all have it in us, but God's got to get us there when we kill off pride. We look at anger. Anger insists I'm right. Anger gives me an excuse to gossip, slander, backbite, all of it. If someone's successful, I'll do things like, you know, uh, Joe uh, uh, owns this big company. I'll say something like, well, that's because Joe's father was rich and it was easy for him. Because I don't have it. Anger. It blocks any pathway to peace, to love, to understanding, to companionship. To being cordial with people, and we can express that outwardly or inwardly. Anger. Anger will lead to rage, and then I got to apologize if I wind up in jail. Anger. Anger needs time, by the way. You know, you rehash stuff, you get angrier. Love doesn't, love is right now. I look at envy, I look at other people's blessings and count theirs rather than my own. I'm always looking around. There's a book. Uh, there's something called Dante's Inferno. And what in and, and the people who walk with envy, their uh, eyes are sewn shut. And the, the 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 idea is I say stop looking at what he has and she has. The prideful people have these big heavy bags of rocks on them to keep them close to the ground, symbolizing humility. But I'm walking around looking at everyone's, counting everyone's blessings rather than one, the ones God has given me. Everything I have has been given by, to me by God, so why do I brag about what I have? What I need to sue when someone says, hey, that was a good job, I'll thank God for that. That's why when I'm done with the talk, and people say, nice job, thank you for sharing, I don't get my congo, wow, I, that was pretty good, I, thank you, Father. Hmm? Envy. Envy is kind of kissing cousins with with even jealousy. Envy is is deadly because my my best friend could succeed, a a sibling could succeed, and inwardly I despise them because I believe I should have it, not them. And I'll I'll share something with you. Uh, I was uh, active about, I don't know, 25 My middle brother got uh, a job on Wall Street. Uh, He was the white collar, left brain, go to school, get a job, you know, be self-supporting. Was on contribution. I thought something was really wrong with him. (laughs) And he went to work for some. um, I forget the Wall Street firm, big famous Wall Street firm, and he was doing quite good. And he got his first Christmas bonus. Now this is 1980. I'm going to say 85ish. And he came home, he was just elated, and he was telling my dad, I just got a $25,000 Christmas bonus. Now, that was peanuts compared to the big wigs there, but a kid who's just out of school a year or two working, 1985. That's a lot, I take it right now, that's a lot of cash. (laughs) I was seething on the inside. I didn't tell my brother congratulations for two days. I'm supposed to have that. Why not me? Oh sure, dad let him study and go to college and now I'm angry with my dad. Now I'm angry with my younger brother because my younger brother says, let's go out and get drunk. Come on, let's go celebrate. This is great, you know? And I'm I'm just boiling over this. That's envy. I'm looking at his blessings, not counting my own. I'm not happy for my brother. I'm hating him. That's envy. Greed. I want more. I'll take from you, I'll steal from you, because whatever I have is not enough. I could be greedy with detention. Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, there's, it's a go-around in the meeting, and it's going this way, and it doesn't get to that person, and they have to have a burning desire. There's no burning desire. They just have to drop a bomb on the group, so everyone has to go, so sorry that's just attention seeking greed i gotta hog the meeting or maybe there's 20 people in the meeting and you got a half hour to share and somebody's got to glom the meeting and take four hours sharing we see it at anniversaries there's 30 people celebrating someone takes four days to accept their coin that's greed i need all the attention i want more which leads me into gluttony i'm gluttonous with alcohol anyone here should be with drugs gambling sex food keep going I get sick and take more. I get sick and take even more, and I'm never satisfied. Gluttonous. We can see. We can come to an AA meeting and practice. particular we practicing spiritual principles, and I haven't an exercised in five years, and I'm maybe 50 pounds overweight. I'm glad I got an issue. Yeah. Pride, anger, greed, gluttony, um, sloth. Now, one way would be, just to say lazy, but that's just too easy, slothful. What I like to always look at when it comes to sloth, the defective character, is being spiritually slothful. I kind of pray. I check in with God like he's a hotel. You know, God, thanks, got to go. You know, doing other things is more important. You know, I, I go to church on Sunday. Sometimes I'm on the road, I don't get there. And sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I don't feel like getting up off the couch. We usually tend to 6 o'clock mass. Sometimes there's a football game on, it's a good one, and i got to get to church for 6 o'clock. I serve there. since I don't feel like going. I go. Unless I'm not feeling well. Get a drunk, say, listen, would you speak at a group anniversary Sunday morning, it's about a two-hour drive uh, somewhere in, on the west, maybe in Naples. It's a big group anniversary, Sunday morning, 8 o'clock. Can you speak? I'm there. Get all dressed up to go speak at an AME, 8 o'clock in the morning, two-hour drive. I get out the door by 5.30. Can you go to the church? Where's church? Five-minute drive from your house on Sunday, anytime you want. There's like five mass. Ah, uh, I don't know. You know? it's so much, you know? And most masses aren't in an hour. They're 50 minutes. Depending on the priest, sometimes they're 45 if he's got a golf uh, uh, I can't do that, I'm spiritually slothful I don't pray really, I don't meditate much I don't do any inventory, I don't do the steps I talk about them, I don't do them I kind of have a spot, but I really don't I don't really rely upon God, to rely upon me and I make a lot of excuses not to seek God, I'm spiritually slothful There's a great story my priest told me, I probably shared it here uh, at least once about this guy just laying on the couch, slothful lazy Day in and day out, just laying around. And one day he wakes up and the Lord's in front of him. And the Lord says to him, what are you doing? Guy dropped, gets off the couch, drops to his knees. He says, I don't know, Lord. He says, I just sit here all day. I don't do anything. He says, I have a task for you to do. He's anything. Tomorrow morning he says, I'm going to put a big rock, big boulder in front of your doorway. I want you to wake up early and start to push the boulder. He's anything. And he starts to push first thing in the morning. Puts on his sneakers, opens up the door. There's the boulder. starts pushing sun up to sun down. Every day he's doing this for 90 days. And on the 91st day, he opens up his eyes and Satan's standing in front of him. He says, What are you doing? He says, Well, the Lord told me to push the bull. He says, The Lord, what are you going to believe the Lord for? What are you doing? You've been pushing for 90 days. It hasn't moved an inch. He says, You know what? You're right. I'm going back on the couch. Slothful. The next day, the Lord shows up. He says, What are you doing? He says, Lord, not for anything. You told me to push the boulder. I've been pushing for 90 days. It hasn't moved an inch. I've been pushing and pushing and pushing. And what God tells him, he says, I told you to push the boulder. I didn't tell you to move the boulder. That's my job. For the last 90 days, you have purpose, direction. You've been talking to me from sunup to sundown. And you haven't been slothful. In fact, you've gotten in shape. Spiritually slothful will kill me as an alcoholic trying to walk a spiritual journey. There's a reason why I don't eat four hours before I do these talks. There's a reason why I do meditation and prayer. Not to come here and give you some pearls. I just need to be right with him because I'm depending on him to speak for me. I don't, I don't I, you know, if I had to do a talk, I have to memorize stuff, have about 7,000 worksheets in front of me. You know, that, it's too much pressure. You don't want that talk. So I need to be a hollow bone, a hollow, empty vessel. So I fast for four hours and I do some meditation, even a local fifteen-minute talk somewhere. That's just what I've been doing for almost thirty-five years now, and it's kept me above water and lustful. We could talk about sex lust, you know, hurting people in the process of chasing lust. Because no matter how much I get, it's never enough. An addiction to sex and things like that, lust. But what about spiritually speaking, lust for power, lust for uh, uh, popularity, a lust to be God, a lust to be the guy, the woman in my home group, to be famous in an anonymous program. We have that, you know, lust for power. I will step over people to get it. If you watch some of these, uh, these things on, on TV, these corporate companies where the families are just ripping each other apart and they're backstabbing their employees for one thing, get the gold, be the man. It's a lust for power. We have maniacs who run the world for forever in the lust for power, killing people, torturing people. What? Lust for power, that's what it does. I'm an alcoholic, I can't be that, let alone just lust. It takes me further and further away from God. The wedge gets wider and wider, and the plaque on the soul gets thicker. And I'm wondering, how come I'm not okay? You know, I make, you know, seven meetings a week, I'm not okay. And I start to drift away from you, which is deadly. Because I'm consumed with me again. I got seven deadly sins running my life. I could practice the opposite by going to God, like some humility, some love. When it comes to greed, there's something that says, if I have uh, two shirts, one shirt belongs to me, the other belongs mm-hmm. to the person who doesn't have one. Gluttonous is moderation. There's another, there's a pope who said, once all your needs are met, the rest of your money goes to the poor. Ouch. Sometimes I'm sitting here and, you know, uh, I have maybe a $20 bill or I'm in church and they do the collection. That's not going to kill me. It'll do the group good. So I give it. I'm only saying that now to make a point. I don't want anybody to think, oh, look at this guy. He's a big shot. But why not? It's going to a good thing. Cheerfully, I give it. God will take good care of me. I'm not buying stuff I don't need to impress people I don't like. Lustful, I go to God. A big book talks about go to God for our sex ideals. And slothful, God, please give me willingness, motivation to do something a passion. A passion for God, a passion for Alcoholics Anonymous. And I haven't been able to do any of this stuff perfect. But it's a long way from the guy who walked in here in 1980. In fact, I will tell you, um, putting money, property, and prestige on the burner, because I have very little of all of that stuff, um, uh, God allows me to travel really light. God has given me a full and content heart to do a walk with someone I adore and have really good people and really good men in my life. I have some female friends, but they're more acquaintances. I don't have female friends. It just worked out that way. More of acquaintances. I have one dear friend up in New Jersey. Uh, the couple, are like brother and sister to me, but mo- most of them are acquaintances and they're, they're respectful relationships. Yeah. That's what this allows me to do, to travel light and to walk free. I've traveled heavy for too long. I don't need to do this anymore. Am I willing to stand with God here? Am I willing to trust and rely upon God with everything in me? I don't, I, I'm not looking any longer for a, a, a fire escape. I need a fire extinguisher. And that's God to put the whole thing out. Because even though know I get away, it's still burning down. <laughs> I need, God, God's got the ability to, to, to put this thing out for one reason to go to work for Him. Not to make me popular you in know, AA. If you get popular you in know, AA, great. Celebrate it. If a lot of people come to you for sponsorship, great. Celebrate it. But I take no credit for that because I'm into pride now. And I'm traveling heavy. Uh, the 12 and 12 says, afraid of what I have and losing, uh, uh, not getting what I want, losing what I have. That's a place of bondage. Defects are deadly. Am I willing to be transformed? So I did this in six in the hour quiet time. I, I prayed for willingness. God, please, whatever it takes, take them from me. There are certain days the only thing I can give God is my sinfulness. And he'll say, well done. He doesn't need me to pontificate to him. He's God. He's not impressed with my 20-minute meditations or some fancy language I come up with. Anything I get is inspired from him. The channel's open. The, the track is clear. The highway's free. Yeah? And suddenly we get stuff that Marion says lays on a heart. You don't need to write it down. It's there. It stays with you. You start to hear. I start to hear. I've heard, I'm not better than anyone in this room. But maybe during our, our comings and goings of day, something you hear. this voice. An inspiration because I'm in spirit. I'm being inspired. Yeah, I start to hear something. Okay, sometimes I come out of meditation. It's a 20 minute meditation. It's like nothing, nothing happened just now, but I'm grateful. Okay, I got 20 minutes with God or 15 minutes with God, and then I get up and I'm going about my my morning. I'm doing some laundry, maybe getting and coffee, and then bang, I just where did this come from? It makes perfect sense. It could be a phrase, it could be a word, it could be some insight into something. It could be, you need to start forgiving this person. And once I get the truth, now I'm walking free. I'm not in the dark about something. But if they fix it in a way, I can't hear that. I don't want to hear it. I can't see it, nor do I want to see it. So God kind of pries us open. And what we're going to do next week in step seven is do a seven-step prayer. Because what I think is good might be bad, and what I think is bad might be good. It's none of my business once again. It's, again, another surrender. God, take me like the wretch I am, here I am in step seven, and remold me, remodel me once again. Because I'm about to go out there with your name tattooed across me as I go knock on a door, hat in hand, and make amends. I better be spiritually fit to do that stuff. Or we got to go back and make amends for the previous amends. We don't want to do that. So we chop wood and carry water, and uh, uh, God has a lot of work to do and willing to do it. He just means me to be uh, like a willing participant. Yeah? That's all I got. Peace.
1: That's it. Let's thank the speaker one more time. (laughs) Now we're going to have Ryan with the secretary's report.
4: Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm your alcoholic secretary. Uh, In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supported, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of the chairs, if you want to give that way. I've asked Jordan to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So let's welcome up Jordan.
2: Jordan, recovered alcoholic. Jordan. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict, of, a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would, be, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. <clears throat> we are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered.
4: 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. If anyone needs a big book sponsor, uh, please raise your hand. Uh, if you're too shy to raise your hand, just come up to the front after the meeting and someone will talk to you. Can recovered alcoholics raise your hand? Awesome. If your hand's not up, just talk to someone whose hand is. Is anyone celebrating a year or more uh, of sobriety in this month, this past month? All right, we got a couple announcements. Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Next. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Do we have any BCIC committee members out there right now? So if you're interested in that, just talk to Kelly after the meeting and she'll give you some more information. Here are some upcoming service opportunities. We have flyers in the back and some of AA's upcoming events. I can't read that. Grapevine magazine magazine for a year. You can get a free book from grapevine.org. October 27th to the 29th is the second annual Bull in the China Shop Corral. And then next Thursday, we have Peter doing his seventh session, so definitely come check that out. And then Monday nights is our primary purpose big book study upstairs on the third floor, same building, same time. Uh, So definitely come check that out as well. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the table in the back. If you're interested in any of that, just see a home group member after the meeting. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin the sound of the bells. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Ryan. Uh,
1: I would like to invite everyone to the Monday Night Biblical Studies on the third floor. It's, um, those who wish to thank this, tonight's speaker, please line up in the center aisle. And let's all circle up and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer.
4: We're going to take a moment of silence for those that are still sick and suffering in and out of the rooms. Who can bring us from shame to grace? Father, who are in heaven, hallowed
5: be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver
6: us from evil. For God is the kingdom, the power, and the glory.
5: Accumulation.
7: A pile of bricks now lies Where once there stood a wall That I hid behind For all this time Sometimes it takes a break Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
8: I think you know this one, don't you?